Hi, we're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Promolo, and I'm joined as always by my right-hand man, Hale Bent, to full press coverage. NFL playoff time is once again upon us, which means the 2023 season boils down to just 13 more games. And this is exactly what sets the NFL apart from the other major pro sports leagues. Instead of multi-game series, each game is an elimination winner-go-home contest. In addition, for the 34th consecutive season dating all the way back to 1990, there are at least four teams that made the playoffs after failing to make it the year before. And those four teams are a big reason why Super Wildcard Weekend has a very good chance to finally live up to its name this season. Is it fair to expect a such hell? I'm expecting it, David. This season has been twists and turns and, you know, uh, last week with everything going on with all the different playoff scenarios and so many teams still in the running, I'm expecting craziness, wildness. Yes, I want that crazy, wild, wild card weekend. Oh, don't we all hail. And before we preview Super Wild Card Weekend, let's talk about our biggest takeaways from Week 18. And I will go first here. The football gods, they couldn't have scripted Super Wild Card Weekend any better. You have three revenge-style matchups. You got the Browns and the Texans, the two teams in that high-profile Deshaun Watson trade. You also have the Cowboys hosting the Packers, the Mike McCarthy Bowl, and immediately after that game, you have the Rams and the Lions, the same two teams that engineered that historic trade that sent Matthew Stafford to the Rams and Jared Goff to the Lions. And, oh, boy, did that trade work out pretty well for both of those teams. And it's going to be fascinating to see how they uh, match up against each other on Sunday three years after the fact. And that's my biggest takeaway from Week 18. What about yours, Sal? David, great takeaway. Mine, uh, looking at this wild card weekend and last week as well, um, hard to believe, but say Thanksgiving, Philadelphia was 10 and 1, coming off of beating up on Kansas City and Buffalo. Miami was getting ready to crush Washington, go to 9 to 3, and look like the front runner in the AFC. And the, here they both are limping into the playoffs, not even with, you know, getting that East title. Um, both teams, yes, terrible late season injuries play a role, but everybody's had injuries in the NFL this year. Nobody is exempt from that. Uh, both teams, you know, with that 11 and six record missing out, limping into the playoffs, uh, just calling into question their mental toughness here as we get into the playoffs. And Philadelphia and Miami, uh, not that long ago, looked like the two of the favorites to meet in the Super Bowl, and here they are on Wild Card Weekend, and I don't know if I can pick them to move on. I feel you, Hal, and uh, we're going to pick those games later on in the program, but now it's time to hand out our weekly honors for Week 18. You go first here, Hal, starting with our all-caps GOAT of the week. Uh, GOAT of the week? Hey, I've got to tip my cap. Uh, to Sean McVay, head coach of the Rams, getting this team into the playoffs 
Uh, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. Remember, uh, we weren't sure what we were getting out of Matthew Stafford coming back into this season, coming back from injury. Uh, rookie running back there. Uh, injury to Cooper Cup to start the season. They were starting second-year receiver 2-2 Atwell and some fifth-round draft pick at wide receiver. Uh, defense was Aaron Donald and a bunch of who's that guys. And here they are in the playoffs, finishing strong, getting into the playoffs here. Um, just an outstanding coaching job by Sean McVay and very easy to overlook that here. Uh, this season, because there's been some great coaching jobs as well. But uh, tip of the hat to the great Sean McVay, who also, uh, with his fifth postseason trip in seven years of coaching, ties John Madden for the most playoff trips by a age 38 coach. So uh, history in the making, Sean McVay, tip of the cap to you. You're my go to the week. I can't fault you for that choice at all, Hal, but Sean McVay has somebody off his own coaching tree that has done a brilliant job as well this season, and he is one of the recipients of my Go to the Week honor for this week. Packers head coach Matt LaFleur, Ooh, Packers yeah. GM Brian Gutekunst, and Packers quarterback Jordan Love. The Packers... Early in the season, this team was a mess. Oh, my God. We were uh, wondering whether Jordan Love uh, was the was... ultimate bust and the Packers would be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. But now look at them. They are as hot as any team in the NFL. Not only have they made the playoffs, based on average age waiting for playing time, the Packers are the fifth youngest team since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger to make the playoffs and the youngest since the 1977 Chicago Bears, according to the Elias Sports Bureau. And just look at who Jordan Love is throwing the ball to. Dontavian Wicks is 22 years old. Romeo Dobbs is 23 years old. Tucker Kraft, 23 years old. Luke Musgrave, 23 years old. Jaden Reed, 23 years old. And Christian Watson, 24 years old. This team... They're babies, uh, metaphorically <laughs> speaking, in football terms, but they look like monsters right now. Jordan Love has all of a sudden evolved into a borderline top 10 NFL quarterback, and it has been absolutely remarkable to see the astronomical growth that he and his young cachet of weapons have uh, undergone throughout the season. Oh, my God. They they, they look lost early this season, and oh. now they're playing just as good as any offense in the NFL, and that goes to the system the Packers have in place of developing talent at every position, especially the quarterback position. And that is a tip of the hat goes to Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, and Brian Gutekunst. All three of you are my goats of the week for this week. And now on to our Duds of the Week honors from a solidly run organization to an organization that looks badly run, even though they have a great quarterback. The Jacksonville Jaguars, oh. Trent Falky and Doug Peterson, oh. you are my Duchess of the Week. You guys did not deserve to be in the playoffs this year. Oh, my goodness. After last season's promise, what did you do? You did nothing. You did absolutely nothing. You didn't upgrade that offensive line at all. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, as great as he is, he can only do so much to mask 
a bad offensive line, even though he is a brilliant pocket manipulator. And Doug Peterson calling the plays worked so well last year. Just why did you have to give it to Press Taylor? Why? <laughs> oh, my God. The Jaguars took a massive step backwards this season, and he got the Texans and the Colts snipping at their heels in that division. And uh, this Jaguars team, if you do not straighten the ship here, uh, massive changes are going to have to be made because – the longer you keep Trent Balky, I fear this Jaguars team is destined to be in a constant world of mediocrity at nine and eight. That is my big fear. You are wasting Trevor Lawrence's prime. And that's why you are my dunce of the week, Trent Balky and Doug Peterson. Amen to that. David could not agree more. And there's no greater crime than wasting a great young quarterback. Uh, cannot agree more. My dunce of the week, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, Jameis Winston overriding the play call, not taking a knee at the end of the game. And as he said, going rogue, is he the dunce? No, wait a minute. Dennis Allen, the coach, you're the dunce. Your team has no respect for you and overrides your decisions. No way. It's not Dennis Allen. It's not Jameis Winston. It's Mickey Loomis. You're not firing Dennis Allen after letting his team, watching his team going rogue out on the field, overriding that call at the end of the game to take the knee. Terrible, terrible backwards going in New Orleans. Uh, this is a mess. I told you when they hired Allen, a big mistake. They're a middling 500 team, and that's exactly what they've been with him trying to hold on to that Sean Payton era. It's all coming crashing down in New Orleans as soon as next season. Uh, you can count on it. They should be starting back over again. And for some reason, Mickey Loomis is holding on to hope uh, and not firing Dennis Allen and New Orleans. I hate to say it, but that's weakness in a team there when you see the players going rogue. And uh, that should have been dressed, addressed this offseason and not. So Mickey Loomis, Dennis Allen, Jameis Winston, you're my dunces of the week. Oh, you bring up an excellent point there, Hal. Based on uh, that uh, rogue play, a lot of teams are going to be targeting the Saints when they play the Saints next season because what the Saints did at the end was very, very disrespectful, if not beyond disrespectful. It exactly. was absolutely despicable. One of the most egregious violations of the mercy rule you will ever, ever witness. And now it's time to hand out our 2023 NFL awards. And this is the final edition of these awards. We did the quarter pole awards. We did the halfway point awards. And now it's time to do the final 2023 NFL awards. And we start with MVP. Who is your MVP for 2023? Hal? Uh, you know, he's not going to win it, but he's my MVP wire to wire rushing leader, 21 touchdowns, almost 1500 yards sitting out the last game, uh, 67 receptions, over 500 yards receiving, over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Christian McCaffrey, most valuable player, the engine that makes that San Francisco offense so, so effective. Uh, he is my most valuable player. Christian McCaffrey definitely has a very strong case. 
But I was on Lamar for MVP at the quarter pole, and I am not jumping off now. It is Lamar Jackson that is the NFL's most valuable player. Uh, and it's not just stats alone that determine an MVP. It is the strides they make and how much they mean to their team. These past two seasons, Lamar Jackson has, has gotten hurt late the season, and it cost the Ravens a playoff berth in 2021, and the Ravens lived into the playoffs last season as a result of that as well. But not only did Lamar stay healthy this year, he evolved into that pocket-passing savant that he always had the potential to become, and even if when Mark Andrews' best target went down, the Ravens just kept on humming, and I think their passing offense has even gotten better after Mark Andrews got hurt, and that is a testament to Lamar Jackson's brilliance as a pocket passer. Lamar Jackson is my 2023 MVP. And now to our Offensive Player of the Year honors. Your MVP choice, Christian McCaffrey, he is my Offensive Player of the Year for those exact same reasons you said. Plus, uh, remember our friend Benjamin Solak at the Ringer. Uh, he analyzed all those advanced stats with uh, the Niners and their offense since Christian McCaffrey uh, was traded to the 49ers. And their uh, effectiveness in some key advanced metrics is virtually identical to the best offenses that the Chiefs have had in the Patrick Mahomes era so far. That's how important Christian McCaffrey is, and that's why he is my Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, yeah, I like to hear that, David. Uh, I could give it to McCaffrey as well, MVP, and but I feel bad. Uh, that's that's weak, weak, weak. So uh, I'll give out the Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, injuries slowed him at the end of the season, but still an uh, amazing year falling just short of his goal of 2,000 yards receiving. But Tyreek Hill, 119 receptions, 1,799 yards, 13 touchdowns. And, you know, big part of why that Miami offense is so effective is because of that attention and those big plays that he still makes despite double-teamed, triple-teamed. Tyreek Hill, uh, the cheetah, that speed, just uncoverable uh, in most situations. My offensive player of the year. Yeah, definitely a neck-and-neck -neck race between Tyreek and Christian McCaffrey for Offensive Player of the Year. And it's also a tight race for Defensive Player of the Year. Who you got here, Hal? Um, probably going to throw you a little curveball because I haven't heard a lot of talk about him. But, man, quietly working in those trenches in Vegas, Max Crosby uh, on a team going nowhere putting up an amazing season, 14 and a half sacks, leading the league, 23 tackles for a loss, 90 tackles out of a defensive end. He's not just pinning his ears back and chasing after quarterbacks. Uh, passes defended, forced fumbles, couple of each. Uh, for a Las Vegas team, going nowhere. He never slowed down. That motor does not shut off for Max Crosby. So I have to make sure I say, yes, Max Crosby, I see you and the hard work you put in my defensive player of the year. Oh, he absolutely deserves a lot more recognition that he's getting for Defensive Player of the Year honors this year because the Raiders, uh, since Antonio Pierce took over, uh, they were easily the best defense in the NFL. But the best defense in the NFL this year from wire to wire was the Cleveland Browns. And the linchpin of that defense is Miles Garrett. The, this Browns team, they were an historically great uh, defense, like only uh, giving up like uh, 250 sub yards a game and the next team uh, like was giving up nearly 300. That's how special the Browns have been on defense this season. And this Browns defense is absolutely nothing with Miles Garrett, a game wrecker who you have to account for on every single snap, who has ridiculous Ben 
for a guy that big and ridiculous speed for a guy that big. Miles Garrett, it's been a long time coming. He gets his first career NFL Defensive Player of the Year award from me and hopefully from the voters uh, as well. And now on to Offensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, this is a no-brainer. Uh, he clinched no it even well before last Saturday night. But just look at these numbers. There have been three quarterbacks in NFL history to lead the NFL in passing yards per game and touchdown interception ratio in a single season. And they were Joe Montana in 1989, Tom Brady in 2007, and C.J. Stroud in 2023. <laughs> C.J. Stroud is my Offensive Rookie of the Year. Do I hear a simpatico alert there, Hal? Oh, David, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to, but, um, you know, there's one other rookie um, that, you know, just having him edge out Stroud. I mean, we're talking a 63-year-old record for receiving yards broken here. Um, and for the 177th overall pick coming out of the fifth round from BYU, um, you know, prior to week one, I don't know how many people uh, could even pronounce his name, but Puka Nakua, what a year for the Rams. Uh, you know, not just filling in for Cooper Cup injured at the beginning of the season. He carried that stat line throughout the entire season, start to finish, uh, finish strong as well. Uh big part of why this team is in the playoffs as well. And um Again, breaking that 63-year-old rookie receiving record yards and breaking Jalen Waddell's record for uh, total number of receptions as well. I got to give it to Puka Nakua. Well, a little bit of a curveball there, Hal, but not yeah. necessarily a curveball uh, because if it was for C.J. Stroud, Puka Nakua would be the home run choice for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I appreciate the diversity of opinion uh, right there, Hal. And now on to Defensive Rookie of the Year. Who have you got here, Hal? It was Jalen Carter at the quarter pole. It was Jalen Carter at the midway point. Who has it at the end? I'm not moving off my pick here. Uh, Jalen Carter, you know, still had a great season um, despite all the problems around him in Philadelphia. Uh, look, I mean, he's not just the best rookie defensive lineman. He is one of the top interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Um, the advanced stats ra rank him uh, that high as well. Uh, you see, Pro football focus has him right at the top of the defensive tackles as well. I mean, this young man is a wrecking ball. We said at the time, um, you know, just take anybody from Georgia. You're doing all right. And that's what Philadelphia has been doing and reaping the rewards of that. So uh, I wrote them all year. I'm going to ride them to the finish pole. Come on in, Jalen Carter. You're my defensive rookie of the year. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. It was Jalen Carter's award to lose, but given the way the Eagles' defense has concluded this season, he lost it indeed, and we can't ignore this guy as well. This guy was the only edge rusher in the NFL this season 
with a pass rush win rate of at least 25% and a run stop win rate of at least 35%. And his 26% pass rush win rate ranked third overall in the NFL and his 35% run stop win rate ranked second overall, according to ESPN. I am talking about CJ Stroud's fellow rookie teammate, Will Anderson Jr. You are my defensive rookie of the year. Congratulations to Will Anderson Jr. And now on to our comeback player of the year. We all know this is going to go to DeMar Hamlin and rightfully so, but I am going to uh, go in another direction here as well. And uh, I just have to give it to Joe Flacco, 38 years old, on his couch until right before Thanksgiving when the Browns called and uh, had him in for a tryout, and then they signed him to the practice squad, and then Dorian Thompson-Robinson gets concussion, and then Joe Flacco has to start the following week, and what does he do? He just discovers playoff Joe Flacco and starts playing that way, and he leads the Browns to a playoff berth as a strong five seed with 11 wins. Joe Flacco, you are my comeback player of the year. Uh, hard to argue with that one. I mean, talk about coming back from the couch. He is the comeback player <laughs> of the year. Uh, but man, I, I, I got to disagree with you again on this one, David. I don't think anybody was put in a more difficult position than having to step in the shoes of the greatest quarterback, possibly the greatest NFL player of all time, uh, Tom Brady retiring in Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay bringing somebody who uh, started the year last year in Carolina, was released, ended up with the Rams, wasn't invited back, had already been shipped out of Cleveland, uh, ran out of town, you could say. Um, and the vindication this year for Baker Mayfield, 28 passing touchdowns, over 400,000 yards receiving, uh, quarterback rating 94.6, uh, leading his team into the playoffs, having a game here on Wild Card Weekend for Tampa Bay. Uh, wasn't supposed to happen like this when you lose Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. I certainly didn't see it coming. I didn't see this comeback, and I love that redemption tale. So for me, it's got to be Baker Mayfield. Hard to argue against that one as well, Hal. There are no bad choices for comeback player of the year this season. And now on to our coach of the year honor. So you got here, Hal. Uh, this one was uh, wrapped up a while ago. Kevin Stefanski, Cleveland, uh, the job you've done this year, keeping this team on track. How many different quarterbacks have they started here in <laughs> Cleveland? It feels like 10. I think it's five, but I wouldn't. you could tell me 10. I'd believe it at this point. So, uh, yeah, for what he's done with this team to keep it on track, five different starting quarterbacks, losing Nick Chubb after in week two. I mean, oh, the whole Deshaun Watson mess. I mean, to get this team on track, to get this team – into the playoffs here. Um, he's just done a fantastic coaching job. I, he had wrapped this up by midseason as far as I was concerned. Sound simpatico alert there, Hal. Kevin Stefanski <laughs> is my coach of the year as well for those exact same reasons. And last but not least, 
for our final 2023 NFL Awards Assistant Coach of the Year honors. He was your Assistant Coach of the Year at the midway point, and he is my Assistant Coach of the Year at the end point. Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, he just coordinated arguably the most fearsome Ravens defense since the 2000 Ravens in many metrics, and that is saying a lot, and he did it with a front of Jadavion Clowney, who's in his 10th season in the league, and he got the best out of Jadavion Clowney in his entire career. Um, Justin Manabike, who was one of the uh, sack leaders among defensive tackles. Um, Kyle Van Noy coming off the couch. Oh, my goodness. And he made stars out of guys like Arthur Mollett. My goodness, Mike McDonald. He has just uh, established himself as a defensive wizard, and he is likely going to get a head coaching job because of it. Mike McDonald, my assistant coach of the year. I hate to move off of Mike McDonald because he definitely deserves it. Um, but, you know, this was the third-ranked defense last year. It was really good. But you know what? The last two, 2021-2022, that Baltimore offense struggled with Greg Roman, 17th, 19th. And this year, uh, what did I say? Take anybody from Georgia. I don't care if it's the draft. <laughs> I don't care if it's the coach. Uh, Todd Munkin getting Lamar back on the MVP path, uh, turning around that offense. Uh, like you talked about earlier, Mark Andrews being injured and that offense just improving even without him. Isaiah likely stepping up, uh, integrating Odell Beckham Jr., Nelson Aguilar, uh, Rashad Bateman making an impact, Zay Flowers, that rookie, having an amazing year. Um, and as usual, grinding out yards from everywhere. At Keaton Mitchell injury, that one too as well. Yeah. They're still, uh, you know, Still running up the points, so got to give that award to Todd Monk in there, edging out uh, a very close second for Mike McDaniel, uh, <laughs> who should be included in that as well. And I hate moving off of him, but uh, I got to give it to Monk in here. Yeah, well, hard he, to argue either guy, right? You know, yeah, yeah, hard to argue either way. <laughs> Hell, absolutely. And uh, Todd Monkin is going to be a serious head coaching candidate in multiple spots as well. And speaking of coaching candidates, let's talk about the latest on the coaching carousel because the end of an NFL regular season always brings coaching changes. And as of last week, Hal, you remained skeptical that Jim Harbaugh would leave Michigan. But in recent days, more evidence has emerged that this time his threat to bolt Ann Arbor for the NFL may just come to fruition. Jordan Schultz of Bleacher Report reported Monday morning that Harbaugh wants to be back in the NFL this year. Schultz also added that Harbaugh and the Raiders have mutual interest in each other and that he is very interested in the Chargers job as well. Keep in mind. Harbaugh was an offensive assistant with the Raiders in 2002, which is the last year the Silver and Black went to the Super Bowl, and he knows Mark Davis and that organization very, very well. And when it comes to Harbaugh and the Chargers, he played quarterback there from 1999 to 2000, and as Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk noted, he wanted the Chargers job in the event it came open last year, which it obviously did not. So my question is, if Jim Harbaugh does indeed return to the NFL for a second head coaching stint, Will it be with the Raiders or will it be with the Chargers? Yeah, I'm still going to dig in my heels and say I think he's staying at Michigan. I don't care. Even though he has nothing left to prove there? Even though he has nothing left to prove there. Hey, you know, uh, to win another one is always that goal there. And uh, I, 
I don't know. 60 coming back to the NFL. I don't know. I, I'm still digging in my heels. However, if he does go to the NFL, I do have to say um, there's one thing with the Chargers that, you know, we've talked about as what makes it so attractive a destination, and that's Justin Herbert. And being able to have that plug-and-play quarterback right there, uh, that's one thing. The Raiders, the jury's still out on Aiden O'Connell. Um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's a free agent. You've got some question marks there. Both teams, uh, the Raiders have certainly uh, excellent defense, played so much better in the second half of the season, but there's a lot of great pieces there on that Chargers defense as well. Uh, superstar players there on defense that just haven't uh, played up to their potential, which I want to put a lot of that on the coaching. Um, so for Harbaugh, yeah, I, I think he's crazy to pass up going to Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And Jim Harbaugh comes back. Yeah, <laughs> and Jim Harbaugh actually uh, agrees with your thinking, Cal, because according to our friend Benjamin Albright, NFL insider at KOA Radio in Colorado, uh, the Chargers are the front runners for Jim Harbaugh at this time. And uh, he says it's looking like Harbaugh will uh, be the Chargers head coach should he decide to leave uh, Ann Arbor. And this morning, in a move that pretty much all of us have been expecting for weeks, if not months, the Patriots and Bill Belichick officially parted ways after 24 years. Belichick obviously wants to continue coaching as he is only 15 wins away from eclipsing Don Shula as the NFL's all-time winningest coach. And as Adam Schefter reported, a team that many anticipate to make a heavy run at him is the Atlanta Falcons, who obviously fired Arthur Smith after another blowout loss last weekend. How good of a fit would Belichick be in Atlanta? Oh, Atlanta would be very, very interesting. Um, excellent young defense there. Took huge strides on the defensive side of the ball this year. A lot of pieces already in place uh, on offense. I could see him heading over to Atlanta, bringing a Josh McDaniels, um, you know, given the Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback run, maybe another run there in Atlanta as well, uh, or grab somebody in the middle of the first round, second round. Uh, but yeah, a lot of pieces on offense there to work with. Uh, like I said, already a very strong young defensive unit there as well. A lot of solid young players there that he can build his defensive system around. I think Atlanta is an excellent fit. And oh my God, Atlanta, can you imagine that Mr. 28 to 3 coming <laughs> in to coach now? <laughs> oh, that's another that's intriguing storyline. Oh, that's a beautiful storyline. I love it. Uh, yeah, I think that sounds like a great match right there. Uh, yes, but they're going to have to get that quarterback position straight down, and uh, they're probably hoping Justin Fields uh, becomes available from the Bears because a lot of Falcons fans are going to be clamoring for Justin Fields to come home to Georgia and lead a Bill Belichick coach Falcons team should Belichick decide to uh, go to Atlanta. And in a decision that shocked many, and I mean shocked many, Mike Vrabel, who is clearly a top 10 NFL head coach, was fired. After six seasons as head coach of the Titans, it wasn't a mutual parting of ways. It was a straight-up firing. And contrary to rumors that surfaced last week, it wasn't because he had a bad relationship with GM Rand Carthon. They actually got along very, very well. The big issue between them was that they had different visions of what the plan going forward should be. 
Rand Carthon wanted to blow it up and trade Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry at all before the season, but Vrabel wanted to win now, and he got his way, as evidenced by the DeAndre Hopkins signing. Also, after the Titans fired former GM John Robinson last season, Vrabel was begging the table for internal candidate Ryan Cowden to be given the full-time GM job, but owner AD Adam Strunk preferred Cartha due to his more modern approach to the game. And that obviously conflicted with Vrabel's more old-school approach. While you can definitely see the reasoning behind this move, I'm sure you'd agree the odds are quite slim that the Titans are going to find anybody who turns out to be as good or better than Mike Vrabel. Is it a good bet that the Titans are likely destined to spend the next three years or so in the basement of the AFC South? Yeah, I mean, this is, a, you know, again, we've talked about it before so many times. Um, you've got to have that front office alignment with the head coach pulling in the same direction. Everybody, just like the coaches expect that of their players, 53 players all rowing in the same direction. The front office, the general manager have to be aligned. And when you bring in general managers with an existing coach or general managers that don't have the input on picking their coach, you're just setting yourself up for problems. And uh, Amy Adams drunk mismanagement of the situation here in Tennessee. This was a team in 2019 that looked like they were well on their way to a solid four or five years of Super Bowl competition. And, you know, the wheels have come off and you can't blame uh, Mike Vrabel. He's done a hell of a job as a coach there. Um, and now getting rid of him when he's not the problem, that just sets things up in a bad situation and, you know, casts a bad light on that organization for uh, getting that next head coach into Tennessee as well. Who's going to want to walk into that mess? Oh, you said it, Hal. Plus, uh, you got Trevor Lawrence in the division, you got C.J. Stroud in the division, and somebody named Anthony Richardson in that division as well. Uh, those three teams could be uh, – competing for Super Bowls in the near future, while the Titans, who are still looking for a quarterback, because I'm not sold on Will Levis yet, uh, they are looking at a rebuild. So it's going to be a big rebuilding job for whoever takes that job at an increasingly tough AFC South division. And there's another wrinkle to the story. Another reason why A.B. Adams Strunk uh, was willing to part ways with Mike Vrabel as a Diana Rossini reported this morning was because Mike Vrabel's uh, visit to New England during the Titans' bye to be inducted into the Patriots' Hall of Fame rubbed many in the organization the wrong way for some reason. And with Belichick now out in New England, on a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked would you be if Mike Vrabel is not among the one or two finalists to succeed Bill Belichick? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got to be the favorite right now. It's between him, Gerard Mayo, um, I don't know if I can see uh, Josh McDaniels getting another head coaching job, but uh, Josh McDaniels, much beloved by Robert Kraft as well. So uh, be between those three, they've got to be the favorites. And I, I don't think there's good optics for Josh McDaniels uh, as anything other than an offensive coordinator right now. So uh, Gerard Mayo, Mike Vrabel, that looks like the two uh, the, the big question for Bob Kraft right now in New England, which of those two is he going to pick? Yes, and this adds another layer of intrigue to the Patriots situation because uh, one of the big reasons why Gerard Mayo is viewed as one of the favorites, if not the favorite, 
is because the Patriots could just simply hire it because the way they structured his contract this offseason, as was just reported uh, by Ian Rappaport. In the contract that they gave him uh, this past year, uh, it was a firm contractual succession plan established within it, and it was uh, communicated to the NFL, and it does have a precedent. Uh, the Ravens did it with Eric DaCosta, GM. The Colts did it with uh, Jim Caldwell, replacing Tony Dungy. And the Seahawks uh, did it with uh, Jim Mora Jr., uh, replacing Mike Holbrook. So we could have a similar situation on our hands here. But Mike Vrabel is going to be very tempting for Bob Kraft to look at. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see them last year putting that into Mayo's contract. Totally makes sense. But because you're not expecting Vrabel after <laughs> what he's done in Tennessee to be on the market. So, yeah, this is a big big curveball for new england here because now you've got that uh you know it's like that free agent that falls out of the sky you weren't expecting you know uh you know tampa bay making plans at quarterback and all of a sudden tom brady's on the market you're not expecting <laughs> yeah. it boom you yeah. uh you know so it'll be interesting to see what they do there and you know if you bring in mike vrabel you know and you don't promote gerard mayo well all of a sudden, is he going to want to come back and coach under Vrabel in that situation, knowing uh, he could be that head coach for the next four five or more years in New England? Exactly. The Titans firing Mike Vrabel has made this situation a lot more complicated than it should be for Robert Kraft. And if you thought the Titans firing Mike Vrabel was shocking, the Seahawks screamed, Hold my beer the following day as they ended Pete Carroll's tenure as head coach. Like Bruce Arians in Tampa, Pete Carroll will continue to serve the Seahawks in an advisory capacity. And one of, if not the favorites to succeed Pete Carroll in Seattle is someone that organization knows very well, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. As most of us with long memories know, Dan Quinn was the Seahawks defensive coordinator from 2013 to 2014, which was the height of the Legion of Boom era in back-to-back -back Super Bowl appearances. However, Jerry Jones, who loves Dan Quinn himself, could make things interesting here. Say the Cowboys get eliminated either this week or next week, and Jerry Jones decides to fire Mike McCarthy and hand Dan Quinn a blank check. Should that come to fruition, do you think it's more likely Dan Quinn stays in Dallas as the Cowboys' next head coach, or do you think he returns to Seattle to replace his mentor no matter what? I mean, that's a, that's a tough one there for Dan Quinn to have those kind of options because, yeah, I mean, uh, Seattle, perfect fit there, no doubt about it, well-known, knows the group there. Um, knows Pete, perfect fit, but yeah, I mean, uh, that blank check from Jerry Jones, man, uh, that's tough to pass up, but again, you know, Jerry Jones, uh, if he does, you know, the Cowboys flame out here in the first round, Mike McCarthy gets fired, um, yeah, Dan Quinn's right there, but Jerry Jones, man, you got Bill Belichick there too, there's a pairing that could be very, very interesting, um, you know, Bill Belichick, you go to a winning team, uh, penciling in 11 or 12 wins, that gets you pretty close to Shula there uh, right away. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Dan Quinn is really the next up for Dallas if, uh, if they do uh, move on from Mike McCarthy. If there's another playoffs flame out uh, not reaching the NFC Championship, I could definitely see uh, Jerry Jones uh, just move right in seamlessly to Dan Quinn, um, especially to stop him from going to Seattle as well. <laughs> I think that's in the back of Jerry's mind too.
Uh, yes. And uh, keep in mind, Dan Quinn has had his eyes on the Seattle head coaching job for quite a while now, according to Ian Rappaport, because uh, Pete Carroll, obviously, he's 72 years young, and it was only a matter of time when uh, he retired or was uh, forced into retirement, uh, as the Seahawks kind of did here. Uh, so uh, Dan Quinn um, is still probably lead towards Seattle no matter what, although Jerry Jones could uh, change his mind if the Cowboys flame out again in the early rounds uh, of the playoffs. And as we were both anticipating for the past week or so, the Chicago Bears retained head coach Matt Eberflus, but fired offensive coordinator Luke Getzey and four other offensive assistants. But given the Bears' recent history of not immediately aligning new regimes with rookie quarterbacks, these moves were met with widespread criticism, and understandably so. After a 3-13 campaign in 2016, the Bears kept John Fox in 2017, drafted Mitchell Trubisky that same year, and fired John Fox the following year. After a mediocre campaign in 2020, the Bears kept Matt Nagy in 2021, drafted Justin Fields that same year, and fired Nagy the following year. In order to prevent this vicious cycle from repeating itself a third time, do the Bears have to make clear to any offensive coordinator candidate that they and Eberflus will have at least two years together with a rookie quarterback selected with the number one overall pick? Oh, man, I you know, I didn't realize that. My God, David, yeah, that, that whole... Um vicious cycle there in Chicago. My God, uh, they're going to have to do that. I mean, who's going to come over there as offensive coordinator? Uh, looking at that recent history, I'd be turning and running in the opposite direction uh, because, you know, your offensive coordinator and that head coach goes, you're not likely staying there very long. Uh, so offensive coordinator candidates, yeah, I would be uh, looking at uh, making sure, like you said, that they have that plan in place. Uh, or, you know, they're just going to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, <laughs> ride out with Justin Fields and uh, not worry about this. But, no, Bears with that number one pick, um, like we've talked, you know, uh, reset the clock on that rookie quarterback, get draft assets back for Fields. It just makes too much sense, uh, especially with Caleb Williams there as that potential number one pick. Um, you know, uh, potentially another Patrick Mahomes there. You can't. You, know, you can't pass on Mahomes and then, you know, pass on the next Mahomes, Chicago. It, <laughs> it, yeah, it, that just can't happen. So, yes, definitely uh, get that offensive coordinator candidate. Get them fired up to be uh, working with a bright young quarterback and make sure they know uh, Eberflus is uh, going to be there a little more than one year. Absolutely. When you start the clock and get a quarterback, you have to keep your coach with that rookie quarterback for at least two seasons because it'll stunt his development if he has to learn uh, two new systems in his first two years like Justin Fields did and like Mitchell Trubisky did. And uh, this is where I think Kevin Warren is uh, determined not to repeat uh, the mistakes of the past is to also reset the clock with Iberflus and Poles with this rookie quarterback. Definitely. It's such an important thing. Um, you've seen it. Uh, switching offense coordinators, quarterback coaches. Um, you know, I mean, just look at failed first round pick quarterbacks and you're going to see that Zach Wilson in New York. Uh, Mac Jones, as great as he looked his rookie season, going to the Pro Bowl with Josh McDaniels and then the mismanagement that cost Bill Belichick his job there, uh, throwing in Matt Patricia as offensive coordinator and then 
the next year, the transition to Bill O'Brien, too little, too late. The confidence was broken. The development line was broken. Uh, that's what that consistency that's needed for these young quarterbacks. Um, you could even say Trevor Lawrence, uh, amazing job of bouncing back from that first season <laughs> in Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, you know, that likely stunted some development there. Uh, he could be, uh, if he was in a more stable situation, uh, even ascending higher. So, yeah, definitely something to look at. Got to have that plan in place. Got to have that consistency. Couldn't agree more there, my friend. And as of right now, we have eight NFL head coaching vacancies. The Chargers, the Commanders, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Patriots, the Raiders, the Seahawks, and the Titans. And what we're going to do here now, Hal, is rank them from the most attractive to the least attractive, starting with the most attractive destination for the next NFL head coaching candidate. I've got to say Seattle, uh, winning culture in place right there in Seattle, a uh, strong unit on both sides of the ball. Um, Seattle's got to be that uh, top choice there. And the consistency in the, the, the time with Pete Carroll, uh, it's not a fly-by-night operation. It's well-run. It's a winning program. Seattle's got to be the top pick. I'm going to have to disagree with you here. As much as I understand your point, Hal, I'm going to say it's the Washington Commanders. You've got mm. a new ownership willing to spend big bucks. You've got the second overall pick in the draft, which means you're going to get either Caleb Williams or Drake May. You have over 70-some million dollars in salary cap space with potentially more to come to surround that quarterback with more talent in free agency this year. And you have five picks in the top 100 this year. This is a gold mine for a rookie head coach uh, in Washington. And that's why I think the commanders are the most attractive uh, head coaching vacancy in the NFL. And what well, about I had number, him in number two? two, David? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tip my hand there. Yeah, I got Washington at number two behind Seattle. So, uh, you know, either or, both both are excellent opportunities. Like you said, all that cap space, new ownership group, uh, guaranteed of one of these two premier quarterbacks coming out in the draft. It's a great situation in Washington. And no Dan Snyder, which makes it great <laughs> right there. <laughs> Forget yeah. everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm probably going to have to put the Seahawks at number two because they've had a consistent winning culture under Pete Carroll. And uh, whoever uh, gets the job, and it's most likely going to be Dan Quinn, he's going to be inheriting a very talented roster full of young players on rookie contracts. And that is a big, big deal. And number three, even though they have a salary cap crunch this year, you got to go with the Chargers because of Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert is a game changer at quarterback, easily one of the top four quarterbacks in the NFL still. Uh, he just didn't have the coaches to maximize the team around him. And uh, I believe the Chargers are looking for exactly that kind of coach. Exactly. Uh, and like I said, you know, uh, talking before about the Chargers coaching job, so much talent on that defensive side of the ball too to be unlocked there. Um, still mind-boggling to me that that unit was so bad uh, with a defensive guru like Brandon Staley uh, in 
in that role there. I mean, just so many good players. Start with Derwin James, one of the best safeties in the NFL. Uh, linebacker Kenneth Murray. They had Khalil Mack. Uh, the, you got a Bosa over there. I mean, you, <laughs> it's just so strong on that defensive side. So many good players. Asante Samuel Jr., one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Uh, so how they didn't put that together, uh, that's got to be very attractive. And like you said, on the other side of the ball, you've got Justin Herbert. Um, you know, you've got that uh, ageless wonder, Keenan Allen there. Mike Williams, uh, even though he was injured, should be back next year as well. Um, you know, unlock Quentin Johnson's potential. That's going to be part of the new coach's uh, responsibility as well. But talented players, both sides of the ball. Um, great, great situation there uh, with the Chargers. You should be able, a coach should be able to, to step right in and turn that right around and get them into that AFC West race right away. You said it, Hal. And which team is the fourth best NFL head coaching vacancy? Uh, I'm going to give it to the Patriots here. Uh, they got a top three pick coming up. They've got, well, about $70 million, but they're going to release J.C. Jackson. That's non-guaranteed money. So you're looking at almost $90 million in cap space for that. Um, you know, whoever comes in as the head coach there um, should be, you know, you've got solid ownership there and that history. I mean, uh, since Bob Kraft has owned the team, uh, Bill Parcells, Hall of Fame head coach, went to Pete Carroll, Hall of Fame head coach, uh, Bill Belichick, Hall of Fame head coach. Uh, the guy knows how to pick the coaches. You end up in New England, you're in a pretty uh, solid situation there. Uh, ownership support, top three draft pick, ton of cap space to turn around this roster, and a very solid defense already there for you. I was leaning towards putting my next team on the list in this space, but you convinced me to change my mind. Patriots are the uh, fourth best uh, NFL head coaching vacancy so far this cycle. As you mentioned, they have a top three pick, uh, which means they're going to get a game-changing player like Marvin Harrison Jr. or uh, Jaden Daniels out of LSU if they love his promise at quarterback. And uh, you have a, a defense that is easily a top 10 unit in the NFL at full strength. When you bring Matt Judon and Chris Gonzalez back, that defense is a complete unit from uh, front to back. And uh, Robert Kraft's history of hiring head coaches, he hired Pete Carroll for a couple of years. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, he hired uh, Bill Belichick after Pete Carroll left. So he worked with two Hall of Fame coaches and he knows what he's doing with this uh, operation period. And uh, he uh, deserves our trust. But the only thing that gives me qualms about this job is that whoever replaces Belichick is going to have to have uh, realistic expectations that he's not going to be as successful as Belichick exactly. was. And that's what makes this a little tough, but you convinced me to put the Patriots ahead of the Atlanta Falcons, who Next I have as my fifth yes. uh, head coaching uh, vacancy. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. I've got Atlanta there as well, David, um, you know, great young defense. We know those pieces, those three first round draft picks already invested um, on offense, get the right coach find that right quarterback one way, one how, like you talked about, uh, Justin Fields via uh, trade would be a great situation to give Fields those weapons. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, that would be something to see there. No doubt about it. I would love to see it. Great opportunity there for Atlanta um, and a great opportunity for a young coach to come in, step in and uh, make an immediate impact. 
You said it. And for number six, I think I'm going to go with the Raiders here because the Raiders uh, look at what their defense has become under Antonio Pierce and Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator. He got a stud pass rusher at Max Crosby. They have turned Robert Spillane into a star at off-ball linebacker. Uh, you have Jack Jones at that cornerback position who is becoming uh, uh, the shutdown corner that they've so sorry like for years. And Trevon Merrick at that safety position, he's finally um, – Going into his element there. So you have a great defense. You still got uh, Devontae Adams uh, on offense, who is still uh, willing to play in Las Vegas as long as you upgrade the quarterback situation. But how you upgrade that quarterback situation is a big mystery. Uh, you do have a lot of salary cap space this year, uh, but the quarterback position is the only thing that gives me qualms about this job. But other than that, it's pretty dang attractive. Yeah, very attractive, and um, you know, and if you wanted to move on from Devonte Adams, I think you could get a first round draft pick for him as well. Still, definitely, He's still very much in his prime, um, and an asset, like you said, either on the field or part of a trade package as well. Um, so yeah, Las Vegas. Uh, hey, plus you're in Vegas too, so I mean, <laughs> you can't beat that either. You got to get points for that. So, uh, very attractive. And uh, yeah, I, I'm with you 100% on Vegas here um, at number six on my list as well, because the next two are just dumpster fires, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, the Titans, however, are a little bit less of a dumpster fire yes. uh, right now because they still have a first round pick, and uh, they are probably going to have a lot of salary cap space as well. They're in the midst of rebuild, so you have a window there to remake the roster uh, in your image there. Yes, exactly. I mean, it, Tennessee, at least like you said, you've got a young quarterback. You can, you know, maybe is the answer. Maybe uh, Will Levis. The jury's still out on him there. But like you said, ton of cap space to rebuild that roster as well. A um, lot of, you know, I mean, that is definitely a positive. And the built-in, you know, they know it's going to be a teardown rebuild. So you're going to have those two or three years to get this roster lined up. Um, and like we talked about earlier in the show, AFC South, uh, that all of a sudden looks like one of the toughest divisions in football right now. So uh, nobody's going to be expecting miracles in Tennessee. You're going to have your time uh, to get this uh, team built up, build around those, uh, you know, those young uh, offensive linemen that they've invested in the draft, build up around Will Levis and uh, rebuild that defense through free agency. Uh, so yeah, so Tennessee, definitely not the dumpster fire of number eight on our list that I think we yeah. both agree on. <laughs> if you thought the Broncos head coaching job last year was unattractive, I would say the Panthers this season are even more unattractive oh. because you uh, traded all those assets to go get Bryce Young and you set him up to fail behind an offensive line that cannot pass protect and a cupboard of weapons that was bare in terms of game changers. And uh, that defense is still good, but you don't have a first round pick this year. You don't have your second round pick next year and you have an impulsive, impatient owner. Yeah. I mean, just the, the David Tepper situation is enough to scare off a lot of very good coaches uh, crossing them off the top of the list. And then, like he said, um, you're stuck with Bryce Young because they gave up the world to get him. Um, you know, the number one overall pick this year, uh, DJ Moore, who they never replaced at wide receiver, uh, went over to the Bears as well. Um, and like you said, that offensive line 
was a mess. I expected so much more uh, out of that mix of veterans and young players, and they never came together. Um, you know, threw a ton of money at Miles Sanders. He got outplayed by Chuba Hubbard. Um, the defense, which was a strength uh, with Brian Burns, Derek Brown. Um, Burns is a free gonna... agent. No, yeah, that's right. Burns is a free agent. So it, why would he want to come back to Carolina? Um, yeah, so you're down to Derek Brown, who's probably looking at one foot out the door as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, one more year and I'm out of here, baby. Um, yeah, I, th that is just a mess. I mean, you look at that defense and you say, well, you know, boy, hopefully J.C. Horn comes back strong. <laughs> That's not, <laughs> not a good situation there at all in Carolina. And like we said, uh, David Tepper, that's the big problem there as well. No first round pick. Multi another pick out next year to the Bears still and uh, already paying the price there watching C.J. Stroud playing on Wild Card Weekend in Houston. And keep in mind, David Tepper overruled Frank Reich. Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud, but David Tepper said, nope, I want Bryce Young. And Tepper, being the impulsive, meddlesome control freak that he is, got his wish, and he is regretting it. And he is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work in full press coverage and follow him on exit Bet one And now, Hal, it's time to preview some of these super wild card weekend playoff games. And we start... In Dallas, where the Cowboys host the red-hot Green Bay Packers. While very few quarterbacks had a better 2023 season than Dak Prescott, you can make the argument that no quarterback in the NFL has been hotter than Jordan Love has been these past two months. In Green Bay's last eight games, Jordan Love has thrown 18 touchdowns and just one interception. Do you think this Green Bay team matches up well with the Cowboys in a shootout? Yeah, I mean, Jordan Love stepping up has made such a huge difference for, um, you know, turning around their season. Uh, definitely seen the improvement on defense as well in Green Bay. But, uh, you know, just the fact of, of Love being able to take that next step of the offense, he's operating it like Aaron Rodgers, you know, not making those mistakes, taking what's given to him, uh, clutch at the end of games, uh, you name it, he's been in that role in the second half. He's been on such a great role. Um, I would say yes, other than, you know, the one thing, the one big advantage in Dallas, uh, you know, as well as Dak's been playing. Um, but man, you know, if you're getting into a shootout, um, C.D. Lamb, you're not going to have anybody that's going to keep up with him throughout that game in Green Bay. Um, you know, love Jaden Reed. Love the uh, the duo from last year, young receivers, Watson and Dubs, but uh, you're just not keeping up with a C.D. Lamb, who we've seen for Dallas, those big plays. He has changed games and turned shootouts into blowouts. He most certainly has. And as we all know, the Cowboys have not made it to the NFC Championship game since 1995, and that's why there's a whole lot of pressure on Mike McCarthy uh, this weekend and perhaps next weekend as well should the uh, Cowboys survive here. And uh, 1995 was obviously the last year the Cowboys won the Super Bowl as well. And the previous two seasons saw very promising Cowboys teams disappoint and exit the playoffs early. But what makes this 2023 Cowboys team different from those other two? I mean, obviously, Dak taking it to the next level, C.D. Lamb taking it to the next level, and uh, Mike McCarthy's offense has been so good 
on third down this year. Uh, one of the things we don't hear a lot uh, about this Dallas team is their ability to extend those drives, uh, to put together those 9, 10, 11 yard, uh, 11 play drives, uh, be able to put opposing offenses on the bench, help out their defense. Uh, that's a big step forward for Dallas, that third down offense. You see the addition of Brandon, uh, Brandon Cooks as that possession, veteran possession receiver on the outside for them has been such a big piece. Um, you know, and, and just on defense as well, part of, you know, uh, veteran Stephen Gilmore stepping up in that secondary, giving that defense uh, a little more swagger behind uh, Micah Parsons. So uh, having that extra help up there, a uh, little bit of beef in the middle, uh, Jonathan Hankins stepping in to, to help with that run defense as well. So uh, you're seeing that Cowboys team, a little more swagger on defense, a little more explosion on offense, and a lot more drive extensions. That's a recipe for winning in the playoffs. It most certainly is. And now let's break down some of the matchups that are going to decide this game on Sunday in Jerry World. And uh, you mentioned Micah Parsons. The Packers are going to have an all-out plan to try to take Micah Parsons away. And that means left tackle Rasheed Walker, right tackle Zach Tom, and the two rookie tight ends who are very good blockers themselves, and Tucker Kraft and uh, Luke Musgrave. They are going to have their hands full and try to cancel out Micah Parsons. But the uh, Packers uh, had a strategy like this uh, with Aiden Hutchinson in that game on Thanksgiving at Detroit, and it worked perfectly. And I would expect the Packers to do something very similar here. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, whether you're bringing those double tight ends or you're moving your tight end to whatever side Parsons is aligning on and forcing that double team, you know, Micah Parsons is somebody you have to game plan. You can't just roll out your offense and say, well, we're going to do what works for us uh, and has worked for us all season. Uh, you're talking one of the uh, most exciting most disruptive players in the entire NFL. I mean, there's few people that can do what Micah Parsons does, left side, right side, in the middle, stop the run, set the edge, pressure the quarterback. Um, you know, he's just a big play waiting to happen. And you've got to have, you know, not just that offensive lineman, but the offensive lineman plus the tight end, plus the running back, the tight end chipping and the running back coming over. Uh, you've got to account for him on each and every play um, because the one play that you don't uh, could be a turnover. It most certainly could, Hal. And the Packers' uh, best defense in this game could really be their running game because uh, this Packers' defense, as talented as they are, they are very, very, very susceptible to big plays and maddeningly inconsistent. And the best weapon they might have to try to slow down Dak Prescott is to keep him off the field with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And that Cowboys defensive line, you mentioned Jonathan Akins, Demarcus Lawrence, one of the best uh, edge-setting run defenders uh, in the NFL, you name it. Uh, they're going to have to watch out for those two running backs because Matt LaFleur is going to want to get that running game going early and often to set up Jordan Love for some big play passes. Yeah, and I mean, um, you know, no coincidence at all, the beginning of the season when Green Bay struggled to run the ball, uh, five of their first seven games, they rushed for less than 100 yards, and they started the season two and five. Uh, and since then, they've gotten that running game on track. And, uh, you know, since week five, though, you know, 
the only game they didn't rush for 100 yards, they lost that game. Um, but otherwise, they've been winning, or uh, even their losses have been just by a couple of points. They've been in every game, and and that's like you said that what's been helping that defense as well. We've got so many young players on that uh, on your defense there is you've got to help them keep them off the field there and um, for that defense, um, you know, keep them well rested, run that football. And, uh, you know, they've rewarded them with that strong red zone defense so far um, for Green Bay. And part of that is not putting them in that situation multiple times throughout the game. Um, such a big part of that managing that offense and um, I think we see both teams like to do that as well uh, manage the uh, running game possess the ball and help out your defense by giving them time on the sidelines and now let's switch sides of the ball when you look at this uh, Packers uh, defense, it all starts up front for them going up against Dak Prescott, and it's that interior pressure that's going to have to come home with our man, Kenny Clark, who we've loved on this program for many years. Kenny Clark is still ball, man. That's all there is to it. And uh, he's going to have his hands full, though, against the talented uh, Cowboys interior offensive line, especially those two guards. And uh, Zach Martin and Tyler Smith, they had rookie set and uh, um, Fourth-year center uh, Tyler Biotis, uh, who was rookie in 2020, beg your pardon. <laughs> but uh, Kenny Clark, uh, the agent sweater for the Green Bay defense, he's going to have to step up in a big way and constantly disrupt Dak Prescott for the Packers to have a chance. Yeah, I mean, we're talking strength against strength here, that Dallas offensive line, that Green Bay defensive line. Um, you know, uh, like we had talked about, Kenny Clark, we talk about him all the time, never gets enough attention. Um and, you know, the ability to bring that pressure, uh, Vershawn Gary, obviously a big part of that, uh, Preston Smith as well, um, Kingsley Ngabari even contributing for that Green Bay defense with some pass rush around the outside as well. So we're starting to see that uh, bringing the pressure, but that pressure on the outside, teams can mitigate that, but pressure up the middle, so difficult to stop. So yeah, Kenny Clark's got to win those one-on-one -on -one battles with that strong interior Cowboys uh, offensive line, one of their strengths there. Um, Biotic, Martin, obviously, and uh, Tyler Smith. So uh, tough, tough to get that inside pressure against Dallas. But when you do, that's how you're going to get them off the field on third down. It most definitely is, Sal. And I'm glad you mentioned Rashad Gary because we mentioned this guy's name a lot these past several weeks. Terrence Steele, Cowboys right yeah. tackle. And Terrence Steele can be a turnstile in pass protection. And Rashad Gary is one of those uh, pass rushing weapons that can take advantage of that very easily. Yeah, and, you know, Rashawn Gary and switch it up, Preston Smith as well. I mean, he may be 31, but uh, he has not slowed down at all. He's still bringing the pressure from the edge on a regular basis there. So for Green Bay, getting that pressure uh, is how you're going to get that Dallas uh, offense off the field. Uh, like we always say, it's going to start down in those trenches, and you got a strong defensive line, uh, strong offensive line that sets up usually for a great game. This should be a great game indeed, and now it's time to make our picks. Who do you think comes out on top in the Mike McCarthy Bowl? His current team, the Cowboys, or his former team, the Packers? You know, I mean, I have, I, you know, you always have that little worry in the back of your mind about Dallas in the playoffs here. Uh, no doubt about it. 
But, you know, I, I was really impressed with uh, Dallas uh, gutting out that win over Detroit. That was a playoff type atmosphere uh, in that game. And, and that's something that I really needed to see out of the Cowboys. And that gives me a little more confidence in them uh, coming into this game. So um, they're able to win the shootouts. They were able to, to win the rock fight as well. Uh, I feel pretty confident Dallas should hold serve at home. I've got them uh, winning 27 to 23 over Green Bay. I have this game quite a bit more high scoring than you do, Hal. I'm just a big believer in both of these offenses. I think the Cowboys offense should have no problems with this Packers defense, but I am also a strong believer that this uh, Packers offense continues the momentum it has built over the last half of the season into this game. But at the end of the day, I see the Cowboys prevailing 41 to 35. How do they do it? Stay tuned for bold predictions. And now it's time to analyze arguably the biggest game of Super Wildcard Weekend. The Rams and Matthew Stafford traveling to Detroit to take on Matthew Stafford's former team, the Lions, led by former Ram Jared Goff. And a common weakness both of these teams have are past defenses that are extremely vulnerable to giving up explosive plays and a common strength both of these teams have is the offensive weaponry to exploit such defensive deficiencies. Which defense would you trust more to make a big play when the stakes are at their highest and why? Big games, big plays, uh, that goes down to, uh, you know, that's where the superstars need to step up. And I don't think there's a bigger superstar on defense uh, for any team right now bigger than the ageless wonder Aaron Donald. When the stakes are down, I just, you know, have a feeling that if there's a play that needs to be made on defense, Aaron Donald, double team him, triple team him. He's going to do what he's going to need to do to make that disruption and make that big play. Um, you know, again, Detroit, I'm not saying anything against one of my favorite players. You know, I love Aiden Hutchinson Absolutely. and he is, you know, the motor that drives that motor city defense. Um, but as far as, you know, having done it, put down the tape for the last decade, that's Aaron Donald. I put all my trust in Donald. Uh, I think Hutchinson could do it, but if I have to move that needle just a little for the most likely, give me the 51% to 49% that it's Aaron Donald. And while they may not say it publicly, I would be absolutely stunned if both Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff don't have revenge on their minds coming into this game. Each quarterback is going to want to make his former team sorry for trading him away. In your mind, which of these two Seattle callers enters this game with a bigger chip on his shoulder and why? Yeah, you're right. I mean, both teams, you know, nobody likes being sent away, um, you know, uh, from your home and saying, you know, not quite good enough. We're moving on from you. Uh, nobody likes that. But as far as the biggest chip, I look at Stafford still beloved in Detroit. There's no doubt about it. It's gonna, they're going to have a hard time of booing for him. You'll see them. I think the you know Lions fans are going to be sitting in their living rooms and uh, booing Stafford, but not even re unconsciously clapping their hands for him as well uh, <laughs> without even realizing it. Uh, he's just that beloved in the city versus, um, you know, Jared Goff. I mean, he was basically shown the door and told, uh, hey, you're not good enough. Um, so I think that chip is a little bit bigger. Uh, Detroit, it was, you know, 
Ms. Stafford, we love you. We're giving you that opportunity that you deserve um, to rebuild. And for Jared Goff, uh, that chip is it's so, so big. Um, you know, no doubt about it. I think it's it's got to be Goff who's got the the burning revenge, uh, burning at a higher temperature there, no doubt. Oh, absolutely, especially since Goff couldn't win a Super Bowl with that Rams team, but Stafford did. Uh, Goff is going to want to show the Rams that he is a Super Bowl-winning quarterback uh, after all. And now let's uh, break down the matchups that's going to decide this game Sunday night in Motown. And I am looking at the slot when the Rams have the ball because the Rams have two interchangeable pieces that they can line up in the slot in Cooper Cup and your offensive rookie of the year, Puka Nakua. And the Lions have two of the better slot defenders in the NFL. And C.J. Garner-Johnson, who just came back from that uh, pectoral injury, and rookie Brian Branch. And I think uh, Aaron Glenn, the Lions defensive coordinator, is going to plan on using both of them against both of those wide receivers. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um, Rams, such a huge advantage being able to run Cup or Nakua out of the slot, um, you know, dictate those matchups, uh, get them in motion into the slot, uh, be able to pick who they're going up against. That's been a huge part of their offense, no doubt about it. But yeah, I mean, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, well-known as one of the best slot defenders in the league. And like you said, Brian Branch, uh, when Gardner-Johnson was out, stepped up and did a great job. So and now having both of those options for Detroit, uh, that's a big help for their defense there. There's not many teams that have a very good slot uh, defender, let alone two of them, that they can roll out there. That's very rare in the NFL. It most certainly is. And uh, staying with the Rams offense for a moment, uh, both of their tackles, whether that be either Joe Nopum or Alaric Jackson at left tackle, uh, Joe Nopum's in with a foot injury, so Alaric Jackson might be starting on Sunday night, and Rob Havenstein at right tackle. Uh, they got to keep their eyes out for Aiden Hutchinson because Aiden Hutchinson is going to want to win this game for his home state and the Lions so badly. No, no doubt about it. And uh, like I said, nah, Aiden Hutchinson, one of the best young pass rushers in the games, made so many big plays for Detroit. Um, and, you know, you look at that defense for Detroit and he does so much of that heavy lifting on defense. He's a stud in the running game, uh, setting that edge. And, you know, he brings so much of that uh, pressure for them as well. Um you know, only one on in double digits on sacks on that entire team. Heck, the only one with more than five sacks on that entire team, Aiden Hutchinson. So he's carrying that defense. And like we talked about with the Rams, uh, injuries on that offensive line could give him an advantage there uh, going up against Alaric Jackson. It most certainly could. And now let's switch sides of the line of scrimmage here. Uh, you obviously mentioned Aaron Donald, and uh, we obviously know who Aaron Donald is. I be the best defensive player the NFL has had uh, this young century so far. And uh, But the Rams also have a rookie nose tackle that is yeah. a dark horse defensive rookie of the year candidate in Kobe Turner. And yeah. those two guys are faced up against that fearsome interior offensive line of the Lions that is so elite in the run game. Center Frank Ragnow and the guards Jonah Jackson and Graham Glasgow. So both those uh, defensive tackles, Aaron Donald and Kobe Turner, they're going to have to um, deal with those uh, interior offensive linemen for the Lions all night and stop the Rhythm and Bruise brothers in the running game and Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. 
No doubt about it. I mean, if there's a strength of the Lions, if there's a part of that team that epitomizes um, what head coach Dan Campbell is uh, brought to that team, uh, or as he said when he was first hired, you know, <laughs> biting those kneecaps out there. Uh, you know, if anybody's got their teeth in somebody's knees, I think it's those interior <laughs> offensive yeah. linemen. That Frank Ragnow, I would not want to run into him in a dark alley. No way, no how. Uh, but Frank knows how to use that leverage and every other trick in the book as well. So uh, not somebody, if, if there's toughness personified, it's that interior offensive line to Detroit and uh, going up against uh, not just Aaron Donald, as you said, uh, you know, he's 1A, no doubt about it. But Kobe Turner putting in a 1B performance there at the nose tackle position uh, has been a revelation for that defense. One of those young players who has really stepped up um you know for that rams defense it seems like there's always a couple of rookies these last couple of years uh <laughs> stepping in and and picking up a, a big chunk of playing time and making an impact for him and kobe turner's just the next one on the line uh that's looking like a future star for him and last but not least it's time to pick the revenge game of revenge games on Super Wild Card Weekend. Does Matthew Stafford get revenge on the Lions, or does Jared Goff get revenge on the Rams? This is easily the hardest game to pick this oh, week. With, without a doubt, um, you know, uh, like I said, both teams, uh, the Rams certainly have been uh, the hottest team. They've certainly, I mean, uh, since their bye week, they've had one loss and that was to the Ravens and that was in overtime, you know? So, uh, you know, they've certainly done the job clawing their way back in the great coaching job. Uh, as I talked about earlier in the show by Sean McVay has been a big part of that. Uh, you know, hard to, hard to pick against a team uh, with that much, um, you know, winning and momentum on their side. But um, Detroit, you know, they're there for a reason. Uh, the leaders that they've been wire to wire here, um, just the, the class of the uh, NFC uh, North there, no doubt about it. They've been tough to pick against that explosive offense. Uh, you know, Amon Ross, St. Brown, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, uh, you know, as well being such a big part of that offense. Um, and Sam Laporta, uh, you know, again, if he can play, um, gives that offense a big boost right there. Uh, and let's not forget the other tight end of Detroit, Dan Skipper. Or Kenei Sewell! Or Taylor Decker! Sewell, you know, get everybody catching the ball over there. So, <laughs> you know, my heart's with the Rams but my head's going to override it and say Detroit at home is just the more talented team. And sometimes the more talented team wins. Um, so give me Detroit 24 to 21 over the Rams. So that simpatico alert, my friend. I was leaning towards the Rams, believe it or not, these past several days. But hearing the news today about Sam Laporta telling reporters that he is very optimistic he's going to be able to go on Sunday night, Sam Laporta is the X factor in that Lions passing game. He just makes a world of difference. And with the Rams' issues defending the pass, that's going to be too much for them to handle at the end of the day. It's going to be close. It's going to be a shootout. But I think the Lions pull it out 35 to 34 over Ooh. the Rams on Sunday night. And now let's pick the rest 
of Super Wild Card Weekend starting on Saturday as C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryan, and the Houston Texans host uh, Joe Flacco, Miles Garrett, Kevin Stefanski, and the Browns in the Deshaun Watson irrelevancy bowl, dare I say. <laughs> but Deshaun Watson doesn't really matter in this game at all. That This game is another hard one to pick. And as much as I love the Texans, I love C.J. Stroud. I love D'Amico Rice. I love Nico Collins. I love Will Anderson Jr. I love Derek City Jr. But this is a young team that is going to learn a painful lesson uh, this weekend about uh, losing uh, in the playoffs. And uh, don't get me wrong. I am super bullish on this team, and I see a Super Bowl in their near future. But they're just not quite ready yet going against a veteran-laden uh, Cleveland Browns team led by the coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski, uh, Joe Flacco, who has been there, done that uh, in the playoffs. And that uh, defense uh, should be able to restrict C.J. Stroud just enough to pull out a close 23-20 win. Yeah, I, I, David, same reasons you're saying sound that simpatico. <laughs> I, I, I've got it as well. I, I, I can't pick against that Cleveland defense. It bit me every every week that I have. I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, Cleveland, just too much going on on that defense, and uh, you know, Joe Flacco reigniting that offense. I think they've got just enough. Houston's got a great future. May not be this year uh, in the playoffs, but should be a regular going forward. Give me Cleveland in this one, 20 to 17 over Houston. And on Saturday night in what is going to be frigid temperatures in Kansas City in the below zero area, the Chiefs host Tyree Kill and the Dolphins. Could Tyree Kill get revenge on the Chiefs in the Kansas City cold? I have my doubts because just look at how decimated this Miami Dolphins defense is. No Jalen Phillips, no Bradley Chubb. And last week, you lose Andrew Van Geekel for the season. You lose off-ball linebacker Jerome Baker for the season. And you have to sign uh, Bruce Irvin and uh, Malik Reed and Justin Houston off the street. Even against a struggling Chiefs offense like this, that is a tall, tall order. And I think Steve Spagnuolo, that Chiefs defense, are going to uh, stop and contain uh, two of that offense just enough in an ugly low-scoring game. Chiefs 20, Dolphins 17. Yeah, I mean, a, a Dolphins, I mean, have struggled, to put it nicely, against good teams this year. Um you know, they've been feasting on the bottom feeders. That's just been the way of their season. Yes, Jalen Ramsey's made a huge impact on that defense, but he can only cover uh, one player at a time out there as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and you know Andy Reid is always dialing something up in the playoffs. Uh, he's got stuff that he's been saving since August just for the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. Um I'm not picking against Mahomes and Andy Reid, especially if Miami's going into, you know, minus 30 wind chill game. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, I'll be listening to the game. I don't know if I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, sign up for a seventh streaming service. I think I have enough of them already. But uh, so, Sorry, Peacock. Um, this is a radio game for me. I'm throwing it back old school. But, yeah, I'll be listening to here if uh, Kansas City take this one. Uh, give me Kansas City 28 and Miami 19. 
The Steelers and the Bills might not be playing in Buffalo this week because of lake effect snow scheduled to hit Buffalo on Sunday. They might be moving this game to Cleveland at oh. First Energy Stadium. Does it help the Steelers pull off the upset? Unfortunately, I think not. TJ Watt just means everything to that team. Mm -hmm. Just look at the splits with TJ Watt on the field compared to TJ Watt off the field. It is massive. And not having TJ Watt is going to absolutely hurt their chances in this game. I expect the Steelers to cover the spread, but I think the Bills do enough to capitalize on TJ Watt's absence and pull out a 24-17 win over the Steelers. Um, you know, David, I agree with you 100% on the TJ Watt stuff. I just cannot get behind uh, Buffalo. I know they finished strong and had a, a strong run here, but get into the playoffs. Yeah, it's a whole new season. It's a different animal. And Pittsburgh's right in that Mason Rudolph madness there right now. Um, you know, if this one comes down to coaching and a close game, I might have to give that edge to Pittsburgh. So um, I know we're not doing an upset special, but this is going to be my game. Give me Pittsburgh 21, Buffalo 20. And how that happens, that'll be in my bold prediction. And Super Wildcard Weekend concludes on Monday night in Tampa as Baker Mayfield and the Bucks host the struggling Philadelphia Eagles. Last week, I said I still trust the Eagles to beat the Giants. Well, they got crushed by the Giants. <laughs> and can I trust this Eagles team in the playoffs against the Bucks, the winners of the worst division football? I just cannot. That defense has been playing absolutely terrible and Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales should be able to exploit those weaknesses constantly in this game. And plus that Bucks defense and those Todd Bowles uh, blitz packages should be enough going against uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, they might not be able to stop Jalen Hurts, but they should be able to contain him just enough. Give me the Bucks in this game, 24-20 over the Eagles. Sound that simpatico, <laughs> David. I am with you 100% on this. I'm riding Baker Mayfield here through the playoffs. Uh, they're at home. Philadelphia, uh, like I said in my takeaways from last uh, for last week, Philadelphia, Miami, I've, I've lost the faith here. I just don't see it happening. Uh, stumbling into the playoffs like this is not a good look. Uh, playing on the road does not usually, uh, you know, bad teams aren't winning road playoff games. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. Give me Tampa Bay as well. Uh, I'll give them the win here, 23-17 to 17 over Philadelphia. And now it's time for our Super Wild Card Weekend Bowl predictions. Hal, how did the Steelers pull off the upset against the Bills? Uh, hey, you know, that, that I said Mason Rudolph madness continues. So uh, I'm looking at this game, my bold prediction, Josh Allen has been so under control. Now he's hyped up for the playoffs. Here comes those interceptions again. Not one, not two, three interceptions. All three of them turned into touchdowns, uh, passing by Mason Rudolph, finding, uh, uh, let, let's say he's going to find some unusual targets here. Rookie tight end, uh, Darrell Washington, uh, catching the touchdown pass, one of them. Allen Robinson, first touchdown since November 22 with the Rams will get a touchdown. And hey, let's throw it out there, the son of Ironhead, Connor Haywood, catching that winning touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter to 
lead Pittsburgh to that stunning upset, 21 to 20 over Buffalo. Ooh, and also Connor Hayward, the little brother of Cameron Hayward, the Steelers' Iron Man on that defensive line. And my bold prediction concerns the Packers and Cowboys. Just like in their wildcard game against the Arizona Cardinals 14 years ago, the Packers and Jordan Love will battle the Cowboys to a shootout with little to no defense that goes to overtime tied at 35. But in addition, a la Aaron Rodgers and Carlos Dansby in that aforementioned game, Jordan Love throws a pick six in overtime to Deron Bland to end the Packers season. That is my bold prediction for Super Wildcard Weekend. And last but not least, as always, our challenge flags. I go first here. My challenge flag goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. Play to the biggest strength on your team, which is the offensive line and the ground attack. You still have the best offensive line in football, Eagles. Use that offensive line to dictate the game on the ground and keep your struggling defense off the field. Call a lot of design runs for Jalen Hurts. Feed the ball to DeAndre Swift. Feed to Kenneth Gainwell. Feed to Boston Scott. Do some end rounds with Devontae Smith or whoever. Just ground and pound your way to victory. That is my challenge to the Eagles. What about your challenge flag, Hal? I, I like that one, David. My challenge flag is going to those eight teams looking for a head coach. Yes, there's veteran head coaches on the market. There's retreads. There's guys who deserve a second chance. But don't sleep on those fresh faces. Uh, we saw it last year uh, with those head coaches. There, uh, the excitement, the knowledge, the intensity, the uh, intangibles that these young uh, rising head coaches uh, giving them their first shot. Yeah, we got Johnson and Johnson, Ben Johnson and Brian Johnson, uh, coordinate, offense coordinator for Philadelphia right at that time. But Luana Rumo deserves a chance, Cincinnati, D.C. Uh, we talked about Bobby Slowick earlier this year, offense coordinator for Houston. He should be in the running for these jobs. Uh, Gerard Mayo in New England, we talked about. Don't sleep on Eric Bieniemy, Mike McDonald, your choice as uh, assistant coach of the year definitely belongs in that head coaching conversation. And Frank Smith, everything he's done for that Miami offense, uh, throw him in that list. Anybody else I forgot as well. There's so many good young assistants that should be in the head coaching. Shane Waldron, Seattle offense coordinator, throw him in there as well. Um, yeah, these guys deserve a shot, and we've seen it. Uh, whether it's a defensive coach or an offensive coach, these young minds, uh, you could have the next Sean McVay. You don't know if you don't give them a chance. So uh, keep your mind open, NFL teams. He is Hale Bet, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work in full press coverage and follow him on exit HaleBet01. Thank you so much once again, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week as we discuss the latest coaching carousel developments, preview divisional round weekend, and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Also, in case you missed it, I will be headed back down to Mobile, Alabama on January 29th to cover my sixth Senior Bowl. I'll be interviewing fellow media members as well as participating prospects all week long as we kick off our 2024 NFL draft coverage. Be sure to follow me on X at DCROM59 and on Instagram and now threads at SportsCrunch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Al Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long and whatever you do, please choose love, please choose kindness, please use compassion. Please choose selflessness and please choose empathy, which are the core characteristics of the best teammates and teams in any sport. Until next time, Cats Kittens, stay cool.